0: Hey, what's up? This is Gustavo Ariano. Every Friday, we're handing off the mic to one of my awesome LA Times colleagues. And today we welcome reporter Richard Reed. I love his stuff. His stories are always deeply human and written richly, pardon the pun. Today, he brings us a story from an unknown and forgotten place in the US.
1: I'm Richard Reed, in for Gustavo Ariano. I'm the Seattle bureau chief for the Times. I've lived in the Northwest for almost 30 years and I'm a national reporter, mainly covering the Northwestern states, Alaska, and Hawaii, writing about issues ranging from wildfires to social justice protests to the rise of the far right. One day, I heard about this town that was in Washington state, but apart from it. I looked into it, and I realized the town was separated by not one, but two international borders. So the only way you can drive there from here in Seattle is by going through Canada. People on the peninsula have been living like this for generations. For them, it was routine and not really a problem until the pandemic hit. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Today is Friday, June 25th, 2021. Today we bring you a story about how the pandemic marooned an American town and how the people who were left behind tried to keep the community together. In late May, I drove an hour and a half north of Seattle to the port of Bellingham. There, I boarded the Salish Express, a hundred-foot vessel usually used for dinner cruises, but recently pressed into service as a free emergency ferry. The handful of people aboard included tourists from Bellingham and Texas. The passenger ferry skimmed for two hours across a shimmering inland sea, dotted with sailboats, barges, and container ships. We skirted forested islands and took in breathtaking views of Mount Baker, a towering snow-capped volcano. Finally in the distance, we saw the headlands of Point Roberts, a promontory surrounded on three sides by water. Bald eagles were flying overhead as we pulled into a largely deserted marina. Point Roberts, or Point Bob as residents affectionately call it, is a 4.8 square mile patch of land at the end of a peninsula that juts south from Canada near Vancouver, British Columbia. One of the first people I met on the peninsula was Mark Swenson, an American resident who has become an expert on the history of this unique place.
0: Point Roberts is on the end of a Canadian peninsula that sticks way out into the Salish Sea, into the water, and the very tip of this peninsula goes below the 49th parallel. And so that means the tip of the peninsula is U.S. territory. So we're kind of a forgotten corner in the United States, but we're in a very busy corner of Canada. In
1: 1846, after decades of haggling... American and British diplomats finally agreed on a border between the U.S. Northwest and what would later become Canada. They chose the 49th parallel as the boundary, extending a sweeping line from the Rocky Mountains almost to Vancouver Island. That line just happens to pass straight through the peninsula. So everything south of the line belongs to the United States, which is how the country ended up with Point Roberts. Many residents of the Point grew up believing that their town was the result of a mistake. Historians long assumed that the 19th century diplomats had no idea, when they signed the treaty, that the borderline would create what geographers call an exclave, a piece of a country separated from the whole. But Marx says that the territory that ended up as zip code 98281 is actually not a mistake. He's found journals showing that members of a U.S. Navy expedition preparing for the talks between the two countries spent several days surveying the point.
0: They never refer to it as a problem. They talk about Point Roberts being a place of abundance. They talk about all of the rich salmon runs. More so, they speak over and over again about the fact that we're close to the mouth of the Fraser River and that it would be strategically advantageous for the United States to have land close to that delta. They foresaw a big city like Vancouver would eventually be built there, and that it was something the U.S. should want. And so uh, they viewed it very inclusively within the United States.
1: Well, they were right about the city, but wrong about the strategic value, at least in a grand geopolitical sort of way. Point Roberts is not the Senkaku Islands, the uninhabited isles near Okinawa that enable China to claim vast territorial fishing rights. In fact, most of Point Roberts' economy depends on Canada. Most residents make their living interacting with Canadians more than they do with people on the U.S. mainland. And in times of crisis, residents like Mark say that Point Roberts is all on its own.
0: A lot of times, U.S., Politicians and government agencies will say, well, we don't really want to invest in Point Roberts because it generally helps Canadians. And so then we might turn to Canada and say, can you help us out with services and infrastructure that we need? And they'll say, what are you talking about? You're Americans. You know, your own government should help you. And we get caught in that gap a lot.
1: That gap is where Point Roberts was caught for generations. Residents mostly accepted it, even thrived. They drove into Canada and then they crossed a second border into the main part of the United States. And then they'd come back, often several times a day for work, school, and errands. But in March 2020, to reduce the spread of the coronavirus, U.S. and Canadian officials abruptly closed the world's longest international boundary to non-essential travel. Suddenly, residents of the town of Point Roberts had to figure out how to get by in a place with no doctors, pharmacies, dentists, and veterinarians. And their economy began to dry up because thousands of Canadians no longer streamed into their town each day to buy gas, groceries, and alcohol at bargain U.S. prices. And the border closure has also gotten many people thinking about how little sense it made that Point Roberts was even part of the United States. We'll have more after this break. Pre-pandemic, around 1,100 Americans and Canadians lived on Point Roberts. They routinely crossed the borders into Canada for work, school, or errands, often multiple times a day. The Point's economy thrived on sales of gasoline, groceries, and alcohol at prices that Canadians considered a bargain. People also flocked to the town from Canada to pick up goods they had ordered from Amazon and other U.S. retailers. Parcel depots received and held the Canadians' packages so they could avoid customs duties and international shipping charges. On the Point Roberts side, the residents depended on Canada for their livelihood.
2: All of our water, potable water, drinking water, bathing water, comes from Canada. All of our electricity comes from Canada. 70% of our firefighters come from Canada. And 90%
1: of our economy comes from Canada. Brian Calder is the head of the Point's Chamber of Commerce. He's an 80-year-old American and Canadian dual citizen and has been coming to Point Bob since the year he was born.
2: There's nowhere else as this uniqueness. Consequently, you remove them, you remove the Canadians, which we've done now for 15 months. It's devastating.
1: On March 21, 2020, U.S. and Canadian officials abruptly closed the world's longest international boundary to non-essential travel. Most outsiders couldn't get into Point Roberts. The shutdown squeezed the peninsula like a tourniquet.
2: Point Roberts is basically a ghost town and has been ever since the COVID border lockdown. And we have been, I mean, locked down. We have no supporting communities around us other than through the border into the Delta, Ladner, Greater Vancouver area.
1: Many residents, especially those with Canadian citizenship, left. As the population fell below 1,000, the community across what had been one of the busiest points on the whole border immediately began to wither. Like many cities that faced shutdowns due to the pandemic, residents of Point Roberts faced existential worries. How would businesses keep afloat? How would they stay connected with family members across the border? But Point Roberts' unique geographic situation presented its own set of problems.
2: We have no doctors here. We have no pharmacy. We have no veterinarians. We have no fast food outlets. Unlike if you were in uh, Los Angeles and you have like 20 towns around you where you can travel to and buy and sell and transact, you can't do anything here unless it is through Canada. And as a result, 90% of our economy has disappeared. 90%. We've had parcel post companies, gas stations, who once had 13 employees under normal circumstances, now have two. The Banner Bank has closed and left permanently. It's just been a disaster. And without the Canadians, we don't have an economy.
1: In May of 2020, Washington Governor Jay Inslee wrote to Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau suggesting that Canada issue permits to Point Roberts residents, allowing them to drive between their town and the mainland United States without stopping. He pointed out that Canada issues transit passes, allowing Americans to drive directly between Alaska and the contiguous 48 states. But Canadian officials were unmoved, That October, they made exceptions for four other isolated border towns, announcing that residents would no longer have to quarantine when entering Canada. But they spurned Point Roberts, arguing that its residents, quote, can access the necessities of life within their own community. That was largely because the international marketplace, the only grocery store in Point Roberts, remained open. But in the past week, the owner of the store announced that she would be shutting down the store in mid-July. The closure would essentially make the town a food desert. And it's not just the marketplace. Brian Calder says he's worried that even when the border ultimately opens, the town won't be able to recover.
2: Some have already found other work and they're not coming back. So when we do, if we do get the economic regeneration that we're hoping for, but it's not guaranteed, where are we going to find employees? Because some have moved out, some have moved off, back to Canada to get jobs, went over to the other side, we call it. So where are we going to get the labour force to fulfil those jobs if and when they do come back?
1: We'll have more after this break. In the late summer of 2020, the rest of the country and Canada saw a decline in COVID-19 cases. In Point Roberts, the number of cases remained in the single digits throughout the pandemic. Yet, the border between the U.S. and Canada still remained closed. The port of Bellingham, Washington, repurposed a dinner cruise ship to launch a -a twice-a-week ferry service for the remaining residents of Point Roberts. The trip, two hours each way, is free, but doesn't solve much because the ship is not equipped to carry cars. At the border, what qualifies as an essential crossing is open to interpretation by Canadian guards. That was the situation Maggie Morey found herself in last October when she received a notice that the water meter at her cabin in Point Roberts was spinning.
3: And my husband's a plumber. Of course, he wants to get down there and look at it. You know, I was just panicking not being able to get there. He, of course, you know, wants to assess it himself because he's a plumber. That's what he does. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he certainly doesn't panic like I do. He said, you know what, whatever it is, we can fix it in, in due time. So, I mean, to me that qualifies as essential. You, you potentially have a leak in your property, but, uh, no, it's not. So.
1: Maggie, who is a Canadian living in a neighboring town across the border is one of hundreds of Canadians who own second homes on the U.S. end of the peninsula.
3: I grew up in Tawasin, which is right beside Point Roberts border. So growing up, I could ride my bike to the cabin. It was, you know, just, a. Uh, 20-minute bike ride. So I'd go down all the time. Growing up, I would leave to go there the last day of school in June and not come home once until Labor Day. Even though it was so close, I just didn't, like, you cross that border and it's another world. It's nothing like it is here.
1: The Mauries haven't crossed the border since last March. Maggie says at first she agreed with the strict border policies, But as time went on and she was still denied entry for what she thought was a legitimate emergency, she became more upset.
3: I do find it frustrating because you are allowed to fly into Point Robert. So you can charter a plane and fly there, which is many, many more points of contact. Whereas we could make a 25 minute drive, just talk to the border guard, that's it. Go check on our cabin. To me, to check on our properties at this point is essential. There's hazards there now. You know, all these properties that have been left sitting, that's a safety hazard. And just due to the nature of Point Roberts being so remote, very difficult to get services down there, you know, it's essential that people go check on their place and make sure it's not a hazard to everyone, the permanent residents who are still there.
1: Maintenance has been a major problem. Overgrown yards on hundreds of empty properties across the town are vulnerable to wildfires. That's when Jeanette Mersing stepped in. She's a 70-year-old American retiree. Jeanette and her sister Diane have been mowing lawns and weed whacking for about 17 absent Canadian families at no charge.
4: Well, that kind of started right after the border closed. I think it was in March, our friend Samantha She called and she says, can you, can you guys water my plants? I just put them in and I, you know, I can't get back there to water them. So went over to water her plants and looked around and thought, oh my, she needs a mow. We need to mow her lawn. And that's how it started. And then, so we thought, okay, we better go check uh, Rick and Gina's house. So we did that. So we had to start, you know, weeding and all that kind of stuff. And on and on it goes. Well, some of them say, oh, my lawns never looked so good. (laughs) Yeah, that's because we work hard at it. (laughs) The border closed and us doing all this lawn work, we don't have time to go sit on the beach. (laughs) That's for one thing.
1: Before the pandemic, Jeanette was used to chatting with her neighbors from Canada. After they left to escape the border closures, Jeanette found herself stuck at home and isolated.
4: We drive down the roads. I mean, we used to joke, well, still do. Oh my goodness, there's four cars on the road. It's like, wow, rush hour traffic here.
1: The border closures have made her life more difficult in the past year. She says she understands why Canadian officials are being tough.
4: Every country has to do what they have to do to protect their own. And that's what they're doing. I agree with
1: them. Last week, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced that border restrictions will be extended until at least July 21st. He wants at least 75% of Canadians to have received one shot of the vaccine before allowing a phased reopening of the border. Jeanette says she's counting down the days to the reopening so that she can retire in peace.
4: We've already had people say, uh, when they open the border, we w- would you consider continuing on with the lawn? No. You know, come on. I'm hoping for that border to open. When it opens, I'm down there with flags, I'm telling you, because we're, we're tired. <laughs>
1: As I wrapped up my trip to Point Roberts, I thought back to my time as a foreign correspondent in Asia. I've seen many countries and territories like Singapore and Hong Kong sandwiched between large powers. And the people of each place have had to find innovative ways to survive. Point Roberts may be a barnacle attached to Canada, but like many border towns, the people there have adapted. Point Roberts has become a resourceful place that has endured sweeping changes. It's that perseverance and ability to innovate that give grounds for hope.
0: And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Next week, there's a recall against LA County District Attorney George Gascon, an unabashed progressive. It's already being scrutinized nationally, and we get into the why. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Stephen A. Cuevas, and Denise Guerra. Our executive producer is Abby Fentress Swanson. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editor is Shawnee Hilton. And our intern is Ashley Brown. And our theme music is by Andrew Eatman. Special thanks to Alan Zarembo. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back Monday with all the news and desmadre. Gracias.